0: If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me to Mark chapter 11. If you're following along in the pew Bibles in front of you, it's around page 900. I'm not exactly sure if it's 899 or 900, somewhere in there. But if you'll turn to Mark chapter 11, we are going to be in verses 27 and through the end of the chapter. We're continuing our series in Mark's gospel. And so as I hear the pages rustling, I invite you to stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word. I'll be reading from the Christian Standard Bible. And uh, this is Mark 11, verses 27 and following. They came again to Jerusalem. As he was walking in the temple, the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders came and asked him, By what authority are you doing these things? Who gave you this authority to do these things? And Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question, then answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Was John's baptism from heaven or of human origin? Answer me. They discussed it among themselves. If we say from heaven, he will say, then why didn't you believe him? But if we say of human origin... They were afraid of the crowd because everyone thought that John was truly a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we don't know. And Jesus said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Thank you for standing. Please be seated. Mark eleven twenty seven, 27, where we just read and through the end of chapter 12, uh, will outline for us five controversies that take place in the temple. And they parallel some earlier controversies that had taken place in Galilee. So it's a parallel to the five controversies in Mark chapter 2 through chapter 3 and verse 6. In both cases, his opponents are the religious leaders. I'm really kind of looking forward to preaching these because the wisdom of our Lord is on full display in each of these controversies. Every time the religious leaders think they've They've got the perfect trap, the gotcha question that he could no way evade. Jesus demonstrates his perfect wisdom. So profound were his replies that in verse 34 of chapter 12, scripture says nobody dared from that point to ask him any more questions. We give up. We can't trip him up. He was so wise. But today, as we consider this first controversy, we see that it's all over his authority. It's a controversy about his authority. You see, the authority of Jesus was a matter of concern for the authorities of Jerusalem. Consider with me for a moment the boldness of Jesus. He had just upended things in the temple the day before. It would have been a complete humiliation, a repudiation of the authorities, the religious authorities in Jerusalem, the way they had been operating and doing their religious performances. Frankly, they were incredulous that Jesus would do the kind of drastic things that he had done, overturning tables, reorienting the focus of the temple back to its proper orientation. My house, he says, will be called a house of prayer. Verse 18 tells us in this chapter that the chief priests and the scribes were seeking from that point a way to destroy him. They couldn't stand him any longer. This is not just a little bit of concern. This was a catastrophe for their religious authority. And so suffice to say, Jesus had not made any friends on Monday of the Passion Week. And what does Jesus do on Tuesday? He waltzes right back into Jerusalem, right past the good old barren fig tree. Okay, remember our orientation here? He walks into the temple, and he continues his ministry. He's not afraid in the slightest. Walks right in, and then what happens when he comes in? Here comes the official delegation, and they don't look very happy. You see the the list here in verse uh, 27? It says, the chief priests... And the scribes and the elders are all coming over to him. But of course, this is not a surprise. Jesus, in fact, predicted that this very posse of people would come and confront him. Mark 8 and verse 31. Jesus began to teach his disciples that it was necessary for the son of man to suffer many things and be rejected by, here they are, the elders, chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed and rise after three days. This was not a surprise to Jesus, but here comes the quasi delegation of authorities of Jerusalem. And they essentially ask Jesus, who do you think you are? What do you think you're doing? Who gives you the right to come in here and do the kinds of things you've done? They ask him in verse 28, by what authority are you doing these things? Who gave you authority? to do these things. And by these things, I think they primarily mean upending the temple. I think that's what's first in view, this disruptive display of outrage. They perceive his behavior as unacceptable, these things. But the cleansing of the temple is not the only source. The only time the source of Jesus's authority was in view. In fact, these very, uh, this very group of people had confronted him on his authority throughout the gospel. So we see secondly, the authority of Jesus was a consistent theme of his ministry. This, these things was primarily the temple, but the, these things has, I think also a broader scope because they've been questioning Jesus's authority all along. When we think back through Mark's gospel and what we've studied, Jesus proclaimed the kingdom of God with authority. Remember the people in Galilee said, he teaches as one with authority. And like God, Jesus forgave sins. You remember what the religious leaders wanted to know when Jesus said, so so are your sins forgiven? They said, only God can do that. Jesus has the authority to forgive sins. Jesus had authority over the wind and the waves. Do you remember when Jesus said, peace, be still? And he spoke authoritatively over nature. Jesus, in fact, had risen the dead. In John's gospel in chapter 11, we have the record of raising Lazarus from the dead. And Jesus has authority over death and the grave. Jesus had refuted the claim that what he was doing was being done under false pretenses, that Satan was, in fact, his place of power, that Beelzebub was the one entrusting him to cast out demons. And Jesus says, that's crazy. You know, you don't infight in your house. Satan doesn't cast out demons. And if that's not what's happening, then you know that the kingdom of God has come upon you, implicitly claiming, I am the authoritative one from God. To usher in God's kingdom. Twice, both at his baptism and at his transfiguration, the Father had spoken aloud and affirmed his Son's mission and declared him to be his beloved Son. So you see, throughout the Gospel of Mark, Jesus' authority had been both displayed and it had been consistently questioned, all culminating here in the temple showdown. So these things, in verse 28, is mainly about yesterday, but these things, I think, also includes all of Jesus' teaching and His ministry with authority. His whole life and ministry had been done and accomplished in the authority of God. And as we've already mentioned, it came with a commendation, not only from the Father's voice, but it also came from a messenger. Who was sent to prepare the way for him, namely our good friend JTB, John the Baptist. So when Jesus responds to the Jerusalem authorities' question, he indicates that his own authority was merely a continuation of John's ministry. So, thirdly, the authority of Jesus was just a continuation of the ministry of John the Baptist. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is John 1, 6. It's kind of a straightforward and simple verse, and you wouldn't quite understand unless you just kind of knew my sense of humor, but I, just like, I like the simplicity of it. John 1, 6 says, There was a man sent from God whose name was John. That's it. That's the verse. That's the tweet. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. Well, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out Our kids can know who John was. John was a man sent from God, period. There's no question where he came from. John was on God's mission, John's authority was heaven endorsed. In this gospel, in Mark's gospel, it's literally the second and third verse because you'll recall Mark's gospel doesn't begin with the birth of Jesus. It begins with Jesus' baptism. And so right off the bat, you have this is the gospel, the good news of the Son of God. He is Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And then verse 2 of Mark 1, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, behold, I send my messenger, God sent before your face who will prepare your way, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way, Of the Lord and make his path straight. John was sent by God to make a straight path for Jesus the Messiah, to point to him. He declared Jesus to be the Lamb of God. We've sung of it today, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. John told his followers that the one who would come after him was greater than he was. So great was he. That John was unworthy to even untie Jesus' sandal strap. And if John's ministry was from God, then how much more the one for whom John was sent to prepare the way? John's ministry pointed to Jesus' ministry, and Jesus knows it. So he counters their question with a question. Now some of... You who are reading this might think Jesus is just trying to be a little evasive. He's talking back like you're teenagers. Teenagers don't get any ideas from Jesus's question here. You're not a rabbi. This was a common practice of rabbis, okay? So Jesus was engaging in a common rabbinical debate. So don't leave here today. You dads are going to go home, and you're going to ask your kids, did you clean your room? And the kids are going to say, well, I will answer your question if you will answer mine, <laughs> did you or did you not empty the dishwasher when mom asked you to do it? <laughs> it's like, wait a minute here, what's going on? <laughs> okay, so no, teenagers, you are not Jesus <laughs> and you don't get to answer your questions with a question. And furthermore, to the point, Jesus's counter question, in fact, implies the answer to his own. He's implying the answer to, his, to the question being asked. If they can answer the question he asks, They have the answer to theirs. In other words, the Jewish religious authorities, if they can correctly answer Jesus' question, then they have the answer to the question they're asking. But if they refuse to answer his question, they signal their unwillingness to accept his implied answer to theirs. And of course, they know that, don't they? Because we see, fourthly, the authorities of Jerusalem could not calculate a reply to Jesus' counter question. They got the one hand and the other hand, and they can't figure it out. Read with me in verse 31. They discussed it among themselves. If we say, on the one hand, from heaven, that John is from heaven, he will say, then why didn't you believe him? And what did John point to? John pointed to him. So you should have believed everything he said, and then you would believe in me. But if we say, verse 32, of human origin, on the other hand, and then we get this little sidebar explanation, they were afraid of the crowd because everyone thought that John was truly a prophet. The kids got it. They, they had the idea of John 1-6 as they were watching this guy. They said, this guy has to be from God. And so they answered Jesus, we don't know. If only they would had Google back then. Sometimes um, my friend Brian, he's a very bright person. And so you know how it is. Sometimes you get a little lazy. Uh, you know, with the internet out there these days, it's like, well, you could Google that yourself, but you just would rather ask somebody who uh, maybe has just been there before or whatever. So sometimes when I ask Brian what he perceives to be a question that I could answer on my own if I did my own research. He uses this tool. I don't know if you've ever heard of it before, but it's called Let Me Google That For You. <laughs> and and basically it's a website that you go to and you type like you're searching it and then you send somebody a link and the link shows people like there's this thing called the internet and then then there's this thing called a search engine and if you go to the google thing you can type in a question and it will give you answers and it's almost like jesus is sending a let me google that for you link to them right he's like let me just google that for you who was john the baptist and then he sends them the link and they look at the link and they See, and then Google comes up and the first result is a Wikipedia article. And so they click on the Wikipedia article and the, the Pharisees and the scribes are looking and it says, John was believed to be a genuine prophet of God. His popularity in the first century of Judea is virtually unmatched. He died tragically at a dinner party gone wrong, claimed that Jesus of Nazareth was the prophesied Messiah. And then, oh, okay, well now we know. No, they knew, didn't they? They didn't need Google. It proves a point that sometimes we don't need Google. We know the answer, but life is more complicated, isn't it? It's a little more complicated sometimes. It's not that they didn't know that John was sent from God, or at the very least, as we have the insight from Scripture, that they knew the people thought that John was sent from God. They just didn't want to admit it. I love what Warren Wearsby says. He says, Jesus did not refuse to answer their question. He only refused to accept and endorse their hypocrisy. He was not being evasive. He was being honest. He refused to accept and endorse their hypocrisy. You see, the way this passage reads in the Greek, it's a setup for a one-word answer. It's a one-word answer. It's like this. He's like... John's baptism, from heaven or from men? And it's just one word. All I need is one word. Was it from heaven or was it from men? And they could have said heaven or they could have said men. And b- b- nothing. They can't, they can't get it out. Because Jesus knows their pride They couldn't bring themselves to admit John's origin. This, of course, was a devastating embarrassment to them. In an honor culture like this, in a public scene, in the temple, here are the so-called religious authorities that don't have enough discernment to know that John the Baptist, of all people, is a God-sent man. Either he is or he isn't. And you can't tell, and you're supposed to lead me in how I follow God? What an embarrassment to the religious authorities. Jesus wrecked them. Their position, their power, and most importantly, their pride. Because as readers of this gospel, we have the privilege of knowing their internal dialogue. The religious leaders obviously knew They were hypocrites. They didn't need Google. They knew John the Baptist, but refused to acknowledge his status as a prophet. And only one thing explains that, and that's their pride and their self-interest is outweighing their submission to God's will. They would refuse to accept that John was from God and that Jesus was a genuine uh, God-sent man because of what it would mean to their position and their power and the way they were used to operating things. And you see, that's where this gospel goes from a nice stroll through Mark's account to a two-edged sword. That if the spirit will move, would it pierce to the division of soul and spirit, of our own joints and marrow, and will discern even our thoughts and our intentions. Because friends, isn't it true that ultimately, The authority of Jesus is in conflict with our own sinful nature. You say, well, Pastor Jason, I was really kind of enjoying this message. It was going pretty good. We were kind of, you know, getting some good history, kind of learning a little bit about John the Baptist and, you know, seeing Jesus throw down with these guys. And we're all like, yeah, go Jesus. And now you want to make it about me and my will and my submission? In John's gospel... He records Jesus' as having said, this is the judgment. Light has come into the world. And people loved the darkness rather than the light. Why? Because their works were evil. Why do people reject Jesus? I don't know that all the time we can say it's because they don't know who Jesus is or claims to be. Sometimes, in fact, this scripture makes it clear, it's true that we love our deeds of wickedness and our darkness and our sin more than we like being exposed by the light of God. We would like to carry on in our own little temple of our hearts, changing money and carrying about with prayerlessness and a lack of focus on what God would prioritize in our hearts and lives. And Jesus comes in and makes claims. He says, follow me, live like this. And often we would rather keep the status quo than have the light expose our darkness. I'm afraid that far more often than we care to admit We are caught feeling like the religious authorities in this text. We don't need Google to know the Ten Commandments. Scripture records them for us. And moreover, even without Scripture, the Bible teaches us that God has written these commands on our heart that we understand. Like You don't need somebody to tell you that it's wrong what's going on with the injustices of the world. You don't need somebody to explain to you your fury when you set your wallet on the top of your hood of your car and then you turn around and it's gone. Like if somebody steals your wallet, you don't need Google to tell you that was wrong. That's mine. Or when somebody violates you or does some some sort of evil to you, it's abundantly obvious to us. We know sin is wrong, especially when we see it in other people. That's the easy part. But when somebody tries to tell me that what I'm doing is wrong, that what I am doing is sin, I often tend to bristle at that. I know my own heart. And scripture says that's the way we all respond. You see, our culture prizes autonomy over almost everything else. Like, don't tell me how I ought to live my life. Don't tell me what I'm supposed to be or do or how I'm supposed to act. That autonomy is what is creating this resistance to uh, good and godly authority and godly commands that would help people. But in fact, that is not new to our culture. We would like to think it is. But the reality is, Scripture explains that is part of our nature. It's part of our sin nature in the fall. You see, the Bible makes very clear that sin entered the world through Adam and Eve. And their rebellion against God was one in which there was a questioning of his authority. Looking at Genesis chapter 3, we read that the serpent was more cunning of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Do you hear the question? Did God really say the questioning of God's authority to command and to teach and instruct? Did God really say, You can't eat from any tree in the garden? And then he further tempts Eve to doubt God's goodness in the command. God's keeping something from you. He's abusing his authority over you to keep you from knowing good and evil. He says in verse 4, you will not certainly die. The serpent, says the woman in verse 5, in fact, God knows that when you eat it, the fruit that had been forbidden, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And since that time, when Eve and Adam both partook of the fruit, humans have suffered the consequence of rebelling against God's good design and God's good commands and God's good authority. The Bible makes it very clear. Sin came into the world through one man and death through sin. Why did I drive to Canada for the funeral of a friend of mine? Why did he have to die? He was a, a good guy because he was a sinner. He was saved by God's grace, but he was a sinner. The Bible says death came into the world because of our sin, our rebellion against God. We all have sinned, verse 23 of Romans 3, and fall short of the glory of God. There's no doubt each one of us, unless the Lord returns, will face death. Why is death a certainty? because we are all sinners and we all fall short of God's glory and our sin is ultimately a rejection of the authority that God has over us as our creator the New City Catechism defines sin as rejecting or ignoring God in the world that he created not being or doing what he requires in his law rejecting or ignoring God in his world He created us. We did not create God. God created us. And as our creator, he designed us. He knows us. And he gets to set the boundaries of what is for our good and for his glory. So all of our sin is a rejection of the authority of God in our lives. One atheist just came out and said it. He said that part of what drove him to atheism was a desire for emotional liberation in the area of his sex life. I don't want God to tell me what I can and can't do. And so I reject it. I ignore it. Romans 1 says we suppress it. The truth of God we suppress with a lie. We lie to ourselves and say that we've evolved from monkeys and from, you know, the Big Bang and all this. Where do we come from? God created us. But it's easier to believe a lie than to believe the truth of God's creation and God's ownership of us and god's authority over us and so we reject the light and love our darkness instead at its fundamental level we need to recognize our sin is a rejection of god's authority you see friends it's easy to look at the religious authorities in this text and think wow And they were pretty foolish. I mean, they missed it. There was Jesus standing right there in front of them. He was a man attested by God. He had done signs and wonders. He had literally just raised somebody from the dead a couple days ago. And they missed it. But sin blinds us. That's what sin does. It deadens our abilities to see God for who he is and to recognize his authority in our lives. So for many of you, like the religious authorities, you know who Jesus is. You don't need me to Google that for you. You don't need me to explain it to you. You've heard the gospel and the good news before, that Jesus is who he claims to be. But you're asking, like the scribes and the priests and elders, Jesus, who are you to tell me what to do? Who are you to tell me what to do? Because you don't want to submit to his authority and his way of life, and his rules and ways. And to that, I simply invite you to consider this. Could you be missing out on the greatest blessing of having a good authority in your life? Our culture is also prone to think of authority as the bad guy, you know, the man sticking it to you, right? Right? All authority, we try and spurn it because we don't think there is such thing as a good authority. But Jesus, I'm here to tell you, is the kind of authority that you can trust 100%. Many of you didn't have a good authority figure in your lives. But Jesus is the kind of authority you can trust. See, the Bible paints a very different picture of what real authority looks like. Jesus' authority is not the kind of authority... That as he explains to his disciples, is like the Gentiles that lord it over people. Kind of squash you, you know, like submit, you know. Jesus took off uh, his outer garments and took the towel of a servant. And as we've read in this gospel, he served. He led the example by serving us. And he served us in our greatest need when he died for our sins. The Bible teaches us that his commandments are not burdensome. His authority over us as he gives commands, they're not there to burden us. The Bible says his yoke is easy and his burden is light. The path of following Christ is a path of true liberty and real freedom in the boundaries he sets. Brothers and sisters, if you have been given some authority, maybe you're a teacher, maybe you uh, at your workplace have authority, you're a father or mother, Whatever God-given authority you have, don't ever forget how you are setting an example and a human example of what the authority of God is like. So let us learn from Jesus' teaching on authority to be the kind of authority that Jesus is for us. Because hear me, please hear me. I know there are many of you who have been hurt by human authority, whether it's in your workplace, your home, or your government, you don't think of authority as good. But God is good, and his authority is proper and right for our lives. I want you to hear this. It's a terrifying thing, because some of you do know what it's like to be in a family, or a church, or a city, or a country with bad authority. It's a terrifying thing. But oh, it is also a beautiful thing. And some of you can testify to this as well. A life-giving thing to be a part of a family or a part of a church or community, city, or country with good authority, protecting, providing, and leading. So I invite you, submit your will to his today. Rest in his authority and find peace because As we close, I want you to consider, if you're a Christian, that the authority of Jesus is actually concrete reality that undergirds the Great Commission, the authority of Jesus. If we're going to teach about authority kind of from a broader perspective now, let's think about the fact that Jesus's authority is a concrete reality that undergirds the Great Commission. You may recall Jesus told his disciples about his own life. Let's think about this. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. There it is. I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. So Jesus not only proclaimed the kingdom of God with authority, he not only forgave sins in authority, he not only commanded nature with authority and cast out demons with authority, raised the dead with authority, cleansed the temple with authority, but Jesus died in the authority the Father gave him, and he rose in the authority that the Father gave him. So much authority has he that he has declared before he ascended into heaven, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That's a claim. (laughs) All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. There is nobody higher. The buck stops there, so to speak. There is nobody greater. He is seated, Scripture teaches us, on a throne right now. You were on your throne. You are on the throne. We sang it today. Scripture tells us there, on his throne, he is waiting, directing the affairs of this world. Hear me. Nothing outside of his control, even today, it's hard to believe. It's true. uh, Directing the affairs of man in such a way that scripture says he is putting all of his enemies under his feet. These world order affairs are taking place at the direction of King Jesus. All authority in heaven and on earth is given to me. And I don't understand how or why, but I do believe that he is in control. All authority is his and he rules and he reigns. And then he will return with authority. Bible says he will judge us with authority. And the Bible says that we will under him reign and rule under his authority for eternity. All authority, Jesus says, in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore. And there's a therefore. And we know the Great Commission But as we think about the therefore, what's it there for? It's there because Jesus has the authority to tell us to go. And he assures us that he is sending his presence with us as we go. We go in his authority. All authority has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So, brothers and sisters, the same authority that Jesus had to cleanse the temple, to die, and to rise again is the authority in which we go, in which we go and make disciples. Have you ever considered that? That we are on a mission sent by the King of all kings and the Lord of all lords. There is no greater authority in your life, not a government not a country, not a city, or family, or church. Jesus has all authority, and in his name we go. So as a practical takeaway, don't shrink back in fear. Don't shrink back in fear. Never worry at your workplace or your school if you are lonely. He promises to be with us Never apologize for standing for Jesus, what is right, what is true, what is just, what is noble and lovely and good. Don't be afraid to speak the truth in love. Hear me clearly. Speak the truth in love, even to those who have been given a God-given position of authority over you. Because as Jesus said in John 19, even Pilate didn't have the authority to send him to the cross. You would have no authority, Jesus said, unless it was granted to you from heaven. So we respect, we recognize, we honor God-given authorities. And there'll be more on that as we preach about the tax question in a week or so to come here. But we honor authorities, but we have no fear to tell them the truth in love. Because our ultimate authority in which we go to make disciples is the authority of Jesus Christ So when we are found doing the king's business and we are doing it in his authority and the comfort of his spirit, if you are asked, by what authority are you doing these things? You can say, I'm doing them in the authority of the king of all kings and the Lord of all lords. Will you pray with me? Father, we confess that as stewards of the authority you give us in various capacities, we have all fallen short. We've all failed to live up to the way you would have us uh, serve and love and lead others. So, Lord, for those who are in positions of authority, I pray that you would grant grace and grow us into Christlikeness, that our authority... Would match and uh, mimic, mirror the authority with which Jesus leads us and loves us and guides us, teach us as we learn from the one with all authority. Father, we thank you for this account. We thank you for the wisdom of Christ. A sign in the prophets of the Old Testament of the one who would be sent with the spirit of wisdom would be the anointed one, the Messiah. And so, Lord, we recognize that the God-given wisdom you gave uh, to to answer and to refute these questions as as Jesus was obedient to you and uh, fulfilling your will and purposes. Father, we thank you that it's a sign of his uh, office and his identity as the Messiah, Jesus the Christ, the Son of God. This is the gospel about him. And we thank you for uh, just the pointers there, even in this text of his identity as the Messiah. Lord, he was the one John the Baptist pointed to. He continued in the ministry and the path that was set straight for him. And he fulfilled all that you had sent him to do. And uh, Lord, we thank you for the way that he um, willingly, authoritatively went to the cross Scripture records that Jesus could have called 10,000 angels. He was in command. He had legions and soldiers of angels that would come and deliver him if he had just said the word. But Lord, in his authority and his love for us, we thank you that Jesus bled and died. As the Lamb of God, the promised Lamb of God who would take away our sins. So Lord, I pray that even today you're breaking down barriers in the hearts of people who may have heard the message of Jesus, may have known of his death, burial, and resurrection, but have been wrestling with this idea of submission to the claims of Jesus and submission to his light and life and authority. I pray that in my efforts to Display what is good authority that you would take it and in your spirit would expound it and just show the beauty of what it means to follow and to live for somebody who loves you perfectly and demonstrates perfect grace and authority and correction and that even the discipline we experience is never too severe, never too light and always done because of love. So, Lord, would you teach our hearts, guide our hearts, use your authority over those who follow you to correct us, to lead us, to prod us, to carry us, hold us, serve us. Father, we thank you for the authority of Jesus. Father, I pray that believers here would be encouraged, um, strengthened in faith to go and make disciples because of the authority of Jesus, where we may feel weak and unable, uh, inadequate in our service of you. I pray that we would remember we don't have the right to talk back, to complain, to question your command. And it is a command for us that we go. And the command is to make disciples As we go, make disciples. So Lord, there are some of us here today I need to ask that you would get us back on mission, back in obedience to the command to make disciples. I pray that that would ring clear. Just as though we were in an army and a general were standing before us and he said, go and do this, that we would hear the command of Jesus With that kind of authority, may we go and make disciples. Lord, thank you for our church. Thank you for your word. Encourage our hearts today by your spirit, we pray. Amen.